The Electronic Intifada. Intifada. Intifada Electronic. Intifada Electronica. This is the Electronic Intifada Podcast. In Oakland, I'm Nora Barrows Friedman. You're listening to the Electronic Intifada Podcast. In his brand new book of poems, Before the Next Bomb Drops, Rising Up from Brooklyn to Palestine, Remy Kanazi writes a poem titled Samud about a young boy named Ahmed whose father is languishing inside an Israeli prison under administrative detention. The father is on hunger strike to demand his rights. Kanazi writes about Ahmed at the end of the poem, quote, his hero who starved himself to raise a mirror up to the world once again. Kanazi's poems do just that. They raise a mirror up to the world. From Israeli violence in Palestine to U.S. state violence in Brooklyn and Ferguson, and from the students on campuses across the country who are rising up to demand their rights to free speech and to organize for Palestinians' rights, Kanazi takes us to the front lines of activism and the struggles for justice. Remy Kanazi is a poet, writer, and organizer based in New York City. He is the author of a previous book of poems, Poetic Injustice, Writings on Resistance in Palestine, and the editor of Poets for Palestine. He's also on the advisory committee of the Palestinian Campaign for the Academic and Cultural Boycott of Israel. We're delighted to have him with us today on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Remy Kanazi, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on. Um, so you do indeed weave stories and reflections on struggle and resistance from Palestine to the U.S. to Iraq to elsewhere. Tell us about the process of writing these poems in this brand new book. Um, some of them are intensely harrowing and full of rage and despair, and others are vivid portraits of everyday life in New York City. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the kind of process for writing a poem varies. I mean, sometimes uh, there's more identity-based pieces or interaction-based pieces where somebody says something incredibly racist to you, and you're like, wow, that was racist. And you go home and write a poem about them uh, on the spot. And then there are pieces uh, about the Gaza massacre last summer that as I was taking in uh, the, the 51 days of death and destruction, the killing of 2,300 people, the, um, the destruction of 10,000 homes and, and, and buildings, I didn't write during that period, but kind of reflected on it afterwards and, and, and you know, stumbled around with words and built a stanza here and there, and then kind of a, a story came together. In terms of, so I think that sometimes there's looking at it from a distance, uh, and then something that you're kind of reacting to. Throughout your book, you call out the centers of power who are stoking and profiting from violence and colonization and erasure of populations across the world. Um, many of these poems were written, as you said, right after Israel's attack on Gaza last summer, which was happening at the same time that the uprisings were taking shape in Ferguson. Can you talk about these two themes which come up often in your poems and are, and are usually interwoven? Yeah, I mean, I think that from as a Palestinian and seeing the gunning down of, of Mike Brown and the killing of Eric Garner and Renisha McBride and Ayanna Jones and uh, the notion of killing a black person every 28 hours, and then beyond that, the prison industrial complex and stop and frisk in New York City, uh, it's impossible to look away from that. And so I think that that with with Palestine, when you look at systems of occupation and apartheid, it's to say that no people should have their families ethnically cleansed, nobody should have uh, their homes bulldozed, bulldozed. So I think that somebody that's, that's, you know, minded towards social justice, you have to look at from the killing of Mike Brown to the expulsion of undocumented communities as, as the very fabric of fighting against injustice. So, so for me, it's, 
you know, even though struggles are unique and manifestations of, 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 of racism operate differently here uh, than in Palestine, and, and sometimes there's a lot of similarities, uh, we're in an important moment where, you know, black folks are coming to the streets and, and you know, they're demanding that other people show support as well. So whether it's going to Ferguson in October, organizing locally with Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, challenging the prison industrial complex on your college campus, I think that, that all of us have, uh, um, you know, have the, the, the important task of, of standing up and doing something about it in the same way that kind of compels me as a Palestinian, but also somebody that cares about justice to challenge Israeli apartheid and settler colonialism. And you also don't spare the activists themselves or activism uh, itself. A lot of your work has always incorporated talking about privilege and figuring out what solidarity is and what it isn't when it comes to Palestine, uh, the, the Palestine solidarity movement. These are conversations that are certainly needed. And, and you talk about, um, quote, academic saviors. You talk about white privilege in your poetry. Tell us more about this and why you hold these conversations and, and ask these questions inside the medium of poetry. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not done to wag a finger, but saying that we need to have critical conversations, the way in which, you know, people are put up on pedestals um, within the Palestine solidarity community, even, you know, and it's not to say I'm so radical or holier than thou. But, uh, you know, when I think about my parents and grandparents own experience, I mean, nobody put their face on a poster, nobody gave them a gold star and a pat on the back. You know, I, when you're when you're I don't want like, if I'm standing against uh, police brutality or the kicking out of undocumented people, I don't deserve a pat on the back for that. I should be standing against those injustices. And particularly when we look at the issue of Palestine, where we give $3.4 billion a year in military aid to Israel, we send over Apache helicopters and Hellfire missiles. You know, Palestinians are not victims in need of aid. They're an occupied people in need of freedom. And, and as American taxpayers, we're standing in the way of that freedom. Um, so, so we're not doing anybody any favors. That's not to say that I'm not very appreciative, and I discuss that as well in the poem, of folks who are rising up and challenging. But we don't want to replicate the same structures that we're critiquing, right? Where we center around a few egos or a few people. And also, I think it becomes dismissive of Palestinians themselves. It becomes very dismissive of Palestinian students. I mean, I'm not some hero because I hold a mic, right? There are a lot of people that are holding down two jobs that are double majors, that are in relationships, like that's the backbone of, of solidarity organizing and movement organizing. So you just don't want to erase all of the brilliant work that thousands of other people are doing. And, and we don't want to create these infallible characters that can't be critiqued. And I consider myself a part of that. You know, if I do something messed up or if, if, if like that's legitimate to critique and it's, and it's not you know, the, this kind of, you know, everybody said, well, yes, we're hugging, but at the same time, it's not about the left eating itself alive, but really about moving things forward ethically, because I think that justice starts at home and it starts in your own organizing space. So, so that, I think, is, is something that we have to push for. Remy, you've also been acutely involved in student-led solidarity campaigns on U.S. campuses over the years, um, and it's no surprise that this activism has seeped into your poetry, as you mentioned. Um, can you talk about why you focus some of these poems on students and their involvement in the global movement for boycott, divestment, and sanctions against Israel? I mean, one of the reasons is because I operate in those spaces, right? I mean, I've performed on a lot of college campuses throughout the United States. You break bread with students. You hear students hear about um, some of the things that are going on and, and a lot of the things that have gone on that Palestine Legal as an organization uh, has covered. So when you see that student repression and you see 
you know, what's kind of being done to folks, you reflect on it, right? So the idea of we need to come together and have dialogue. So I have a, a poem on anti-normalization, but some of the same tactics are used for anti-divestment bills or to push a student group to sit down with another racist organization on campus to affirm the status quo. So I think that um, within the within the, the the student movement or the organizing community or talking about privilege, the kind of hope is that as a poet, I can shed light on some topics that aren't being covered um, or topics, let's say, cultural boycott or dialogue that aren't necessarily being covered in a cultural way. So you can bring a different medium to it. So that's kind of how I, 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 I think of my work and, and why I still stay a poet, because I think that it has hopefully some kind of relevance and, and adds a little bit to the conversation and gets at people, you know, in a way that maybe an op-ed or, or cable news, I mean, well, cable news is racist, but like that the news uh, doesn't. You're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. Visit us online at electronicintifada.net or follow us on Twitter at Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. Intifada Electronica. Electronic Intifada. We're speaking with Remy Kanazi about his new book, uh, Before the Next Bomb Drops, Rising Up from Brooklyn to Palestine. And we'd love to hear some of these poems that are in this book. Would you be able to read a couple of selections uh, from it for us? This poem that I'm going to do is called Refugee. And um, it's pretty self-explanatory. And it, it discusses the Nakba in Palestine, uh, but also the daughter of uh, somebody who was ethnically cleansed in 1948 and her experience reflecting on what happened to her, her father. She's never seen the sea. Sunlight imprinted on her father's skin, waves crashing on his feet, smile tattooed underneath boyish grin, snapping pictures with closing eyelids. Her father's face, flush on recollection, the same waves that had clenched like an angry jaw as his mother pushed him forward like a train car. Watch his neighbor drown. Tears streaming, eyes connecting, screams muffled, as inhalation suffocated lungs, muscles wary, skin pruning, barely a boy, knowing he would never return. His neighbor, an older man, born in Akka, looked dapper at dinner parties, looked helpless that day, his body revolting against death, a pool intent on swallowing him, so many stroking to get on boats departing. Who'd have known? This gulf would have been their deathbed. She has been beaten, ID checked, body thrown to the ground, fists and feet pummeled, fractured hip, shoulder broken, heart too many times, tear gas inscribed on her lungs. She wrote back on her breath that the canister's defeat is near. These fields are ours, she told me, before the Europeans and Brooklynites, before the swimming pools, army jeeps, and barbed wires, before the talks, roadmaps, and Swiss cheese plans, before declarations, rewrote history, those hills met footprints, and that can't be erased. Like village massacres can't be erased. Like broken bones policies can't be erased. Like the screams ringing in her father's ears can't be erased. We're the boat returning to dock. We're the footprints on the northern trail. We're the iron coloring the soil. We cannot be erased. In the collection, there's uh, three sections of hashtag poems. Uh, and so I'm gonna read a piece from What Remains. Still wets the bed, 
shivers in the corner, the last clean sheet around his shoulders, embarrassed, afraid, stares out the window, teeth chattering, the buzzing, unyielding, occupied sky. This is a piece from the section, No Less Worthy. They don't hate our way of life. They despise our way of death. Granulated bones and crushed pelvises. Decimated. Decapitated. Even when you choose not to see it. War on terror. This piece is also from No Less Worthy. You don't deserve a medal for speaking up against misogyny. Finger snaps for railing against the prison industrial complex. Special hugs for standing with undocumented communities. Combating oppression isn't a game you get prizes for. Solidarity. This is from the section Inside Out. A smashed window always rings louder in the media's ears than the clacking of six rounds emptied into a black teen's body. Ferguson. This is hate crime from Inside Out. Beat so bad her insides went silent. Muslim, covered with blood. No love or light found on this Parisian block. Hate crime. And then, last one. This is also from the section Inside Out. Thousand pound bombs don't inquire about the sexuality of victims below. Pinkwashing. Beautiful and moving. Thank you so much, Remy Kanazi. The book is Before the Next Bomb Drops, Rising Up from Brooklyn to Palestine, out now from Haymarket Press. Remy Kanazi, always so good to have you on the Electronic Intifada. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. That's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. For news, information, cultural features and reviews, and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net, where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and if you're listening on iTunes, support the Electronic Intifada podcast by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, Thank you for listening.